0: Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at BuiltByscott by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Winston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning has gone completely virtual. We've taken both our Level 1 and Level 2 courses and loaded them onto an online platform so that you can digest the power of this amazing operating system from the comfort of your home. We combine this recorded video experience with live Zoom labs to bring all the principles and practices of reconditioning to life through applied case study. In turn, you walk away with how to best use this language of common practice to bring the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful approach that creates lasting change in your client's performance. This fall, ReconditioningHQ.com is launching a complete experience package that brings all of the video teachings together with a powerful mentorship program and a weekly community touchpoint so you can grow as the reconditioning revolution grows. We are truly excited about the possibilities. We believe that success in any venture begins with the right mindset. We know that the statistics for burnout in human performance are significant and that many of our colleagues face questions every day about personal fulfillment and living their best life. This is why we've started a landmark program for human performance professionals called Empower You. This program is all about crafting your best life, living purposefully, and enjoying the fruits of your impassioned labor. For more information about reconditioning, courses, or our amazing Empower You program, head over to ReconditioningHQ.com and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 Canadian off the program of your choice. Understatement alert. For sports performance coaches and proactive healthcare professionals, the last six months have been very challenging. We are now seeing the permanent changes in our profession. How our services are delivered are affected and we must adapt. Providing safe and effective health and fitness coaching has never been more needed yet never been more uncertain. Matrix Fitness Canada wants to help you in your journey journey matrix fitness is a premier brand of fitness equipment designed for organizations professionals and exercisers alike if you are refreshing your facility they can help if you are in need of setting up clients with their home gym space they can help the matrix fitness Canada Ambassador Program is designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part, you can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada Ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around their services, please connect with nikki.turner at dot Calm. Welcome to our newest Leave Your Mark sponsor, Rep Performance. Rep Performance is a web application founded by NHLers Nick Foligno and his strength and conditioning coach, Callan McGibbon. Understanding the importance of the developmental stages and their impact on long term athlete development, they launched an online performance for coaches, trainers, or teachers that would instill a foundation of fitness, share their story, and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks and they are equipped to succeed in sport and life visit them at Rep Performance app. Com. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Sheldon Prasad. Sheldon is the owner of Personal Best and is an NCCP certified coach in several different sports. He's been coaching for 34 years, and his experience includes being the SNC coach of athletes who have competed at World Championships, Commonwealth Games, Pan American Games, and the Olympics from close to a dozen different national team programs. Over the past 21 years, Sheldon has worked with the Canadian Sports Institute of Ontario and in the capacity Capacities of Lead of and c Lead Sports Science, Manager Performance Services, Director of Sports Science and Sports Medicine, and Director of Performance Services, and is currently a Senior Advisor. Sheldon is a co-founder of the Certified Professional Trainers Network, a founding director of the Canadian Strength and Conditioning Association, and an author and an award-winning international conference presenter. He has twice hosted his own radio show segment and has taught high-performance coaches at two different colleges. He is also a stress and wellness consultant. Above all, Sheldon enjoys spending time with his wife and tries to stay in shape in an effort to keep up with his kids. I'm pleased to have him on the show today. Welcome, Sheldon.
1: Thank you so much, Scott. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this, actually, because, um, you know, you and I have bounced into each other over the years and communicated on emails a lot. And I actually remember the first time meeting you, coming down to your facility many years ago now, and kind of being impressed with what you had created at the time with your partner. Um, and it's just nice to finally sort of talk about life and your life and to learn a little bit more about you. So thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much. So you're a Toronto boy, uh, grew up in teo um, and have stayed there ever since. And you have uh, obviously a family background uh, culturally from India. And so what was growing up in Toronto with that kind of background was uh, was there challenges? Was it uh, normal life? What, what was life like growing up?
1: Definitely challenges, and and more so from you know being a visible minority in a primarily white school, you know all the way from grade school through junior school through high school, and it was definitely challenging, and there were definitely times, you know, not only as a student but also as a student athlete growing up, uh, facing a lot of prejudice along the way, mm-hmm. and you know despite that, uh, you know I, I've I've run into situations where I've been. In a lot of fights growing up because of the color of my skin. I've been I've been spit on. Uh, I've been kicked, bullied. Uh, I've been pulled over by the police, and and first question asked is Is this your car? So you know I've been through that. But the reality is, and I share this because there's so many people that have gone through this. But I I am absolutely one of the lucky ones. I, I have led a charmed, blessed life. I absolutely do not complain about the experiences because the experiences that you go through in life lead you to a certain point. Uh, so I cannot look back at regret, but but I, I can say through all of the challenges and through through the life struggles, uh, I'm definitely the one of the lucky ones that have not faced nearly some of the traumatic things others have faced. But it's, it's led me to this point in this time uh, and having the opportunity to chat to you.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious with that to unpack that a little bit in the sense that I'm wondering, you know, having experienced some of that in your life and with the year we've had so far with some of the things that have gone on around race relations, etc., what what do you think is the... Uh, differentiator between somebody like yourself who maybe uh, overcomes and actually, in in maybe some ways, is fueled by that, and somebody who gives gives up, gives in, doesn't overcome it. Uh, are are there things that you kind of can recognize as difference makers there, or were difference makers for you perhaps?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a that's a brilliant question, and I would have to say the first thing that came to mind is the phenomenally amazing friends and family that have supported me along the way, you know, and starting with, uh, with my dad, who, who my dad is the greatest man I've ever met. And he is the most humble man who is also a genius. I mean, he finished first in his school at medical school and he's just, he's such a humble individual and, and to speak to him, you wouldn't know that. So I think being able to, I was a, a really rambunctious kid with a terrible temper who lashed out at everybody and everyone, but having a constant sort of, um, role model to look at and, and see the way he responded not only to a, a brutal kid <laughs> that I was, but also the other individuals around was was, I think, a foundation. But then it goes on through to my mom and and to my sister and then to all of my close friends who who never gave up on me and supported me along the way. I would say that having those individuals in my life was was definitely the difference maker for sure. My dad is the greatest man that I've ever met. My mom is the strongest person I've ever met. And my sister is the most resilient person I've ever met.
0: I've had uh, actually quite a few um, people from East Indian background on the podcast. And the thematic always comes up about sort of this push uh, family push for education and there's always kind of the you know the higher education sometimes connected to doctor lawyer etc this need to maybe overcome or or do something that that generation or the immigrant generation perceives being sort of the right type of uh, professional direction etc so did you have that kind of push in your life or where did you kind of find your way and how how you know, you'd mentioned your dad, how, how much of an influence was he on what you did and your academics and where you went? Yeah, my dad
1: never put pressure on us ever. And it's interesting that you say that because there's a great movie on Netflix about the script spelling bee uh, as it relates to, to Asia. And people should watch that if they haven't seen it, but never once did I feel pressured. I, I actually went to grad school as a, well, my wife would say as an immature or immature student, but as a mature student, I went back to grad school, you know, 15 years after working. So I finished my undergrad, started working almost immediately, um, but never did my dad say, well, what's next? Or, Are you going to do more ever? Never once. So uh, it sort of came out naturally just in terms of me wanting to pursue uh, education beyond that. And, and as a coach, you know, the one thing that we realize is the education never ends. So that, that's actually one thing that maybe I got uh, by osmosis from my dad is that desire to, you know, never end that education and, and wanting to continue. Because, again, my my basic objective, my basic desire in life as, as it relates to my vocation is I want to be a better coach. Mm-hmm. So in whatever way, shape or form that, that that comes in, by readings, by educations, by courses – that's the way I'll go. But again, never once ever, ever feeling pressure from my dad.
0: Hmm. Well, you spoke about your, uh, about your dad in a very, um, very kind and considerate manner in terms of the, the way you, you view him. Why is that? What is, what is it about his character that really resonates with you still now, uh, at this point in your life?
1: He is extremely humble, and he's had about six or seven different retirement parties because <laughs> he's still practicing <laughs> as, a, as a physician. And I remember at one, I think it was probably his second or third uh, retirement party, one of his his uh, former students uh, who was now working with him as an as associate said that um, Dr. Prasad would tell you to go to hell in such a way that you would actually be looking forward to the journey, because first of all, he would never say go to hell. <laughs> but he's just so humble. And I mean, at one point, my dad was the chief examiner in the country for his specialty. So that meant every person who was going into the specialty would have to be examined for my dad. Uh, but even my, my sister and I, have talked about this because we find it so remarkable. Never, ever once do I remember my dad saying to either my sister and I, not now or later, or I'm doing this. He always put us first and foremost, and it was clear, not only in the words, but also in his actions.
0: Wow. That's amazing. That's re- That's really cool. When you were, when you were young, then what did you, cause you, you weren't pressured. So what did you, what did you look up at the stars at and sort of dream of doing?
1: I wanted to be a history teacher. (laughs) Yeah, so in university as an undergrad, I did I did take Phys Ed. That was my my major, but um, every other opportunity I had, I would take either ancient Greek or ancient Roman. I love the antiquities. So my desire going through school was to become a history teacher, but then I'd, I'd do this fun coaching thing on the side uh, just to keep things fresh. So <laughs> that, was, that was the goal. That was the intention.
0: Do you ever wonder what life would have been if you had become a history teacher? Is that ever it's you still or, or you find that in reading books and things and you're fine?
1: I still, I still love you know, you know. It's part of my readings at night and and in the morning. I will still read uh, as much history as I can, especially as read, my latest is is reading about um, Egypt and the ancient history of the pyramids is what I'm on to right now. But I I am I am quite content. I am I am entirely pleased. What happened in my life is what was supposed to happen, and, and I and I, I'm really enjoying where I'm being right now, and and I'm so extremely fortunate and lucky in terms of of what i'm doing right now as a vocation
0: so my my impression having not spent a lot of time talking to you but reading the sort of the bio before is that and then you just mentioned that you started doing some coaching was and, and i'm assuming that was rugby that got you going in your coaching or was it another sport you were coaching when you were you were younger yeah rugby is probably the sport
1: uh, initially that i coached and played the most and absolutely love the sport. still love the sport. if if I wouldn't wake up and, and be sore for a week or two after a game, I'd still be playing if I could. <laughs> um, but yeah, I absolutely do love so, so I was a coach before I was a personal trainer. Um, well, you know let's take a step back. I was I was a business owner before I was um, a coach. I was a coach before I was a trainer. I was a trainer before I was a strength and conditioning coach. So wow. coaching was always, an objective coaching was always uh, a desire and even uh, as I was going through the desire to eventually become a history teacher I always had that I wanted to be a coach in, in the back of my mind you know and and rugby was one of the sports that I coached
0: so you were a business owner before you actually your vocation so to speak came came around we
1: did we we started um Pretty much uh, a few weeks or so after our undergrad. So my business partner and I, Barry Shepley, who was my business partner for, for over 29 years now, 29 years and a, and a month, uh, we've been business partners. He uh, he and I actually started working together at a company while we were still in school, still at McMaster. And then we were fired by that company. And then we started our company on our own, So, um, or started our company you know, October 15th, uh, 1991 is when we started our company. And then I went through the certification process of becoming coach in in a number of different sports.
0: So, were you just a glutton for punishment that you wanted to go and do business that 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 early with that raw? And what did you learn in the process of do of just jumping into that?
1: Uh? Yeah, it, uh, hindsight through twenty twenty because neither of us I would say are really good businessmen, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is ironic. Uh, but we we just love to to work with athletes and we love to coach. So um, you're right too because when we started our company, it was at the tail end of a recession. And, uh, you know, probably not the best uh, thing to be doing. But we actually, you know, here's, a little, here's a little bit of an aside story. We started coaching uh, endurance athletes and triathletes as a staple. Mm-hmm. And my, my business partner, Barry Shepley, actually went on to be the Olympic triathlon coach in 2000 when Simon Whitfield won the gold medal. So, he, you know, entrenched in endurance training as our company is concerned. So we actually had a weekend warrior client Who found out that we were struggling trying to start this company? And at the time in '91, there was a new business ventures loan opportunity through the government. If you had fifteen thousand dollars in the bank, then the government would match that, and then you would have to pay it off over a certain time. So our client actually wrote us a check, uh, and we were able to buy our first computers. We were able to rent our first office. So um and he he ended up doing a few ironman over the years but i mean in his 50s so he was again um an age group triathlete but that's how we were able to start our company
0: mm. when you're building this business i mean that's a time when call it the call it the box boutique sort of space is not really exemplified uh you're you've got the golds gyms and the world gyms and the big gyms back in those days so how did you uh, perceive that that was gonna work and and how did you actually perceive the creation of the of the business model?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the one thing that we were very adamant about early on is um, our business paradigm was not to own facilities, not to have to purchase or buy equipment. So what we did is we we actually, The company that we worked for previously that ended up firing us was responsible for corporate facility management. We found out that one of their corporate clients, their their contract was coming up to tender. So we put in an RFP and we ended up winning that contract. So that actually started our corporate division. So we started to put energy and effort into managing corporate facilities that enabled us to to give us the, the stable revenue generation to help facilitate the coaching. So the corporate division of our company, and again, we have three divisions. So the corporate is one, coaching, testing, training is two, and then the events and camps is three. So each of the divisions work together, but the one that offered the greatest stability early on was our corporate facility management programs.
0: Mm, cool. And so what did, you, what did you fall in love with in coaching? Is it the helping people? Is it the, in the journey? What, what, what did you fall in love with in that?
1: I, I love to help people. I, I, my, I believe that I'm here. My, my mandate, my objective is to serve and, you know, that that's, you know, the quotation, one of my favorite quotations from Muhammad Ali is, you know, the serving others is the rent you pay for your time here on earth. And I, I really believe that. So I, I really enjoy working with people. And I've been extremely fortunate to be able to work with people along the entire spectrum from people who are doing their first triathlon to athletes who are going on to play rugby for their province and their country, to Olympic athletes uh, in, you know, a variety of different sports. And I, I love that mix. I, I, and it, for me to to look back at it, I think working with people at the left end of the spectrum who are just beginners really helped me work with people at the right end of the spectrum and, and vice versa. So I, I very much enjoy working with people. I very much enjoy, service you know, servicing people.
0: So when do you decide that strength and conditioning is something you want to sort of move into versus just simply coaching?
1: Well, I think that that evolved out of the, the personal training that... I wanted to also be able to offer a little bit more just in terms of the, the team facilitation, in terms of the planning, to, to get into a, a little bit more of, of the science uh, behind the why, which is one reason why I went back to grad school eventually. So I think it's trying to take a, another step further. And at the time, too, I was looking at the sort of the landscape of our, of our field and seeing that you know, not only was SNC but also sports science was I think the trend at the time and this is going back I would say probably 50 it was about 15 to 20 years before I jumped into the SNC world um, but it was it was looking at so saying one of the things my dad has me doing is I actually create a five-year plan and I review it on an annual basis but going through those plans and looking into 10 and 15 years down the road I think S C, was the way that uh, I think was going to be most motivating for me to go down,
0: mm. and so as you're sort of growing, uh, the industry industry is growing, and you're recognizing um, how you have to shift and how you have to move. Um, what what has been when you look back, sort of at at your career and the business that you've created were there sort of call it watershed moments in that process where you kind of recognize that when you made this turn or you made this direction change, that it was the right direction change, you you followed the right path. Do you remember moments like that uh, in your, in your business career?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think going to grad school was one of those moments because It was similar to my business partner's experience of preparing for the Sydney Olympics. He had to move out to BC to finish his NCCP level four in order to be certified. So I think it was a moment for both of us to say, we have been fortunate in being able to have amazing people work with us at our corporate centers that enable us to do things like that. So I think having the stability of a corporate division with phenomenal team members who can, you know, not only take the ball and run with it, but never need micromanaging enables my partner to go out West enables me to go back to grad school. So I think, uh, you know, the one thing that I try and stress to coaches coming into the field is, is think about ancillary revenue generation opportunities so you don't have to be physically present for every dollar you earn. And without that model, I would never have been able to go back to, uh, to grad school.
0: How do you, you know, you've employed people, obviously, over the years, many. And so what are your... What are your standards of choice or decision making around hiring a person? Uh, do you start with character first, and if so, what are the character elements? And if not, what what do you what do you base your your movement on engaging somebody or not? Yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. Character is number one at the top of the list, and and the number one item that both my business partner and I look for is is their willingness to learn. And if the willingness to learn is there, then, then we can definitely have a, a relationship where we're learning together and growing together. I think that's absolutely vital.
0: Cool. When does um, meeting your wife happen and, and how does that happen?
1: It happens in around nineteen ninety-eight.
0: <laughs> in around. Yeah. <laughs> she probably expected May, it 15th,
1: <laughs> May 15th at eleven forty. <laughs> and I and I only know the time because I'm I have been accused of being anal <laughs> in my life. So she was she was supposed to show up with a friend of mine that I used to play tennis with at eleven thirty. So I, I know she arrived at eleven forty. <laughs> Uh, you know what she was actually just had finished law school in Alberta so she was living in Calgary and a friend a mutual friend uh, knew she was disillusioned with law and wanted to leave law was interested in the health field so wanted to connect us to talk about some potential opportunities in in health and uh, uh, to see if there were any synergies there so that's how we first met
0: our sponsor rep performance is a web application launched by co-founders nick felino and callan mcgibbon their platform is designed for teachers and youth sport coaches with pre-designed testing templates and ai driven workouts geared to individual needs they aim to provide every coach the ability to develop fitness for life in the athletes of tomorrow share their story and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks and they are equipped to succeed in sport and life visit them at rep performanceapp.com today. Our sponsor Matrix Fitness produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in the most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. COVID has forced us all to rethink how we are offering our services. With that in mind, Matrix Fitness Canada has created an ambassador program designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part, you can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around Their services, please connect with nikki.turner at jhtcanada.com. And then long distance relationship. Long distance relationship. Wow. Well, you're maybe that's a a way of it working in the beginning because my next question is like this industry takes a lot out of us and that's something that we all have to sort of balance especially in your younger years, you're, you're investing a lot of time. Sport is kind of a, a um, on demand reality. And so how do you, how do you negotiate that creating a, a quality relationship with somebody when you are spread, uh, Probably quite thin, as is normally the case in, in early career, uh, especially when you're running a business.
1: I think early on it was it was advantageous for us to be in different provinces for that first year, and and it was a year until we were married, and and she moved to Ontario. But the the reality is, we got to know each other so well, and this is this is the time before. I mean, there's no FaceTime, you know, going back to, to that time. I mean, people using phones. So actually, we actually used to watch movies on the phone together. And this is not DVDs, this is VHS tapes where we would have to synchronize our VHSs <laughs> and we would watch movies together on the speaker phone. But it was it was such a, a an amazing time to to really get to know each other and um, become best friends before we became uh, husband and wife.
0: Mm. And so with that, um, what does she balance in you?
1: Sorry, say that again. What does what,
0: she, she balance in you? Like what? what's her yin to your yang, so to speak? Or is there a yin to your yang?
1: She is, yeah, my goodness. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> She's. She is... First of all, she's brilliant. So she still is in law. She stayed in law because she was able to find a company to work for as opposed to a firm. So she's an in house corporate lawyer. So she strikes a balance in terms of, of life and life balance. Um, we have very similar life goals and objectives. Uh, you know, being active, our kids are, are high on our priority list. But being able to do things together, I think is is also a massive difference. She's far more patient than I am. She has been an amazing, calming influence in my life. I'm not nearly as anal as I used to be, uh, and that's in large part because of my business partner and because of of my wife. Uh, they just I think being able to put things into perspective, um, really helps and, and not having to worry because again, as an anal person, historically, I would worry a lot about the details Mm. rather than looking at the big picture. So, um, my wife really helps me to look at the big picture and really helps. And she understands that, uh, you know if there are things if there're new things and we need to pivot she she knows how to approach me and and to how to how to phrase things so that I can start pondering and thinking about it so she's absolutely
0: <laughs> a yin to my yang that's awesome well i'm going to use that as my pivot point for i don't know if you ever listen to my podcast, but I uh, have this book that I got a number of years ago called the day you were born it mixes astrology with numerology, so I was asked the people i have it on my show what their birth date is. You are February 7th, which makes you an Aquarius 7. So, your purpose is to align your will with his, using your faith to protect you, so you can manifest your dreams without becoming hurt or being destroyed. He that is discontented in one place will seldom be content in another. Aesop, Greek storyteller. Aquarius 7s are gifted, but that gift can lead to destruction unless they have developed from within. They need faith a belief in themselves and in something greater. They will live with divine discontent until they accept a spiritual path. Others will take advantage of them if they remain innocent and unable to protect themselves. If they are street smart, they could take advantage of everyone else. Aquarius 7s are incredibly intuitive and struggle with depression and mood swings. They are creative and able to pass through doors closed to others.
1: That's amazing. That's yeah, amazing because you know, as you say that, so my favorite Bible verse is actually Romans 12, 6 to 8. And actually, what it talks about is figuring out what your gift is and then servicing people as much as you can. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting.
0: Did you discover faith from your parents or for, on your own? No,
1: my parents, yeah, okay. upbringing in church and uh, from an early age. And and the last thing I read at night is uh, is the Bible.
0: Wow, so I guess you. You hit the mark and <laughs> setting your course uh, appropriately. So, when when do you guys decide to have kids? And is that something um, that rocks your world, or is it something that just uh, is really a very power- empowering thing for you?
1: Always wanted to be a dad, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And my uh, my wife and I were married in '99, and our daughter came in uh, 2001. And then our son, uh, four years later, two thousand and five, he was born. So yeah, always wanted to be a dad.
0: And was it what you had hoped or expected it would be, or were? Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah, even more, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And you know, now my sons at the age, so my daughter lives on her own now she has her own place she's at school but my son who's just turned 15 is is really getting into working out now and i actually coach his hockey team so they're a collection of them that get together to do their workouts and then he and i do our workouts together now too which is awesome
0: (laughs) that's awesome that's beautiful so you've always been sort of a quiet leader in this industry a little bit um, in canada and it's kind of interesting to see that that metamorphosis over time sort of knowing you peripherally you you sort of were quite involved in the start of the CPTN what was the genesis of that and and why do you why do you guys create that organization to begin with
1: Yeah, our first conversation, so it started with uh, Susan Lee, Lucinda Christian, who's now Lucinda Jensen now, and myself, uh, sitting down. We actually had an open forum downtown Toronto just to talk about the possibility and, and scope out if there was interest in personal training and going down the field of helping to create a group for personal trainers. So it led to the creation of the Canadian Personal Trainers Network. A few years into it, we changed the name to the Certified Professional Trainers Network and just celebrated the 25th anniversary a few years ago of of that association. But again, the objective was really to try and help uh, educate and qualify certified personal trainers across Canada. And without, I mean, Lucinda is phenomenal, Susan, phenomenal. Susan, in our first meetings, she was... Um, several months pregnant, and Lucinda and I didn't even have any idea. Uh, but uh, full of energy, incredibly, uh, you know, knowledgeable in terms of advocacy and, you know, advocacy groups for professionals. So, uh, again, yeah, that uh, ninety-three, I believe, is when we founded the CPTN.
0: What was the biggest challenge in making that work? Making it a
1: national uh, association or group, again, it's still very Ontario-centric, mm. but I think just the acceptance and and the provincial sort of guidelines, provincial desires, provincial objectives, has definitely been a challenge uh, over the years.
0: Mm. And what was the most rewarding aspect of doing it?
1: Uh, having people come back. To us, we we had the 25th anniversary conference a couple of years ago, and having people come back who had been involved since day one, and to see what they've done, to see them starting their own businesses, to see how they've evolved, to see and hear about the people that they've been able to work with and coach uh, throughout the years, and then also some of them becoming practical assessors and course conductors. I think you know the paying it forward opportunity and seeing that through to fruition has been amazing.
0: What's been when you look from outside in with the growth of the strength and conditioning industry in Canada, and I know you know I want to sort of segue into what you've done to build the this strength and conditioning coaches association. But um, what has been interesting for you to to observe that growth and the change in dynamic of what it was in 1991 and what it is now? Uh, what's what do you reflect back on personally when you look at it?
1: It was very much an unknown at the time. I think it's far more accepted and understood in terms of what a personal trainer is and what a personal trainer can do. Uh, and it's beyond, uh, the, it, was, it was more so for the elite at the time we were starting it. You know, people who had disposable income uh, or professional athletes or amateur athletes were looking towards personal training as as a means to to help with their conditioning and training again now you know 27ish years later it's far more accepted and I think there's far greater appreciation of the value and benefit that a personal trainer can bring to an individual, even if your goal is to be healthy and your life objective is to grow old and be able to play with your grandkids uh, eventuality. I think there's just far greater understanding and knowledge in terms of what they can offer.
0: Hmm. How do you wear the hats? Um, is there a challenge in wearing the hats of, call it the coach, the strength conditioning coach? The personal training hat like they're kind of different hats and i'm just wondering if there's a challenge to recognizing the differences and when you're working with different um, colleagues and their expectations or um, perceptions of the industry, uh, because there's, you know, there's, there's a difference between what person, what the perception of a personal trainer is what the perception of a strength conditioning coach is. There's been a lot of push in the industry in Canada as well to sort of differentiate that to sort of the higher education element of it. The, uh, you know, when you're working with performance athletes, you need to have this kind of level of, uh, credentialization, et cetera. How has that sort of struck you as, as, as that's grown over time?
1: yeah i think you're you're entirely correct in terms of sometimes a bit of the confusion as it relates to myself i classify myself as a coach first and foremost Mm. and when it comes to uh, in the gym i still would classify myself as a coach of conditioning and strength not necessarily a strength and conditioning coach if that makes sense Mm. uh and regardless of what the individual's goals are, I approach it from a coaching perspective mm-hmm. um, because I do mentor a lot of coaches as well. It might not necessarily be me uh, helping them with their technical acumen or skill. It could be life objectives and goals, but still it's in a coaching role. So I think the, the first hat that I tend to gravitate towards is that of a, of a coach.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is your your pull or desire or direction because you're part of an instigating group to create a a strength and conditioning coaches association in Canada. Uh, There's been one for the listener for many years and across the border and the national strength and conditioning association. The Australians have created one that's quite significant. There's one in the UK and they're, they're sort of sprouting up all over the place. And I know you've been, wanting to make that happen for a long time why and then um how how much how what would have been the challenges to making that happen
1: challenges are definitely people's expectations that we're going to mirror or be identical to the other organizations that you mentioned and that's not necessarily the case nor necessarily the objective mm-hmm. uh, one of the objectives of the Canadian Strength and Conditioning Association, is to be able to share stories of Canadians for Canadians. And when we were looking at the landscape, that was one gap that was really presented. There are so many phenomenal strength and conditioning coaches in our country that we're just not getting their due or recognition Possibly because they don't have a desire to engage in, in social media, but through being able to publish a uh, newsletter, uh, by having our website, we're being able to give some of these SNC coaches, one of who was highlighted in our, our most recent, our fall newsletter, who's been around for 30 years, as an NHL, SNC coach, as a coach to Olympians, um, but very understated individual. And this has given him a platform to be able to share. And we've been able to make some connections for individuals who are just getting started in the field with him as a result. So I think it's really the first, and we have in terms of our strat plan, there are really three objectives. The first phase objective is the collaboration and having something for Canadians that promote Canadians and uh, you know consumed by Canadians.
0: Mm. Yeah, you made a nice point there, actually. And you know, it's an industry where you have people who are social media savvy or uh, reputation savvy, and then you have other people who just kind of fundamentally go about their business every day. Um, in Canada, there's been, I would say, some some real forefathers of the industry um i you asked me actually to speak at the agm that you're having in a few weeks from now and i'm sort of trying to cultivate some some historical construct from different people and stuff but you know for me going back many years ago you had uh, mcdougall and sale who were kind of the big researchers who underpinned a lot of the sports science strength conditioning and then Charles polycan was you know a really big purveyor of SNC back in the late eighties um, you know, you had some of the coaches of track uh, in, in Ontario who were doing some really neat things. And then you have, you know, guys like Ed McNeely who quietly has gone o- along doing his thing uh, and others throughout Canada, you know, who have been, who have been your, um, not necessarily even mentors, but you can certainly talk about mentors, but uh, ins- ins- inspirational professionals, maybe sometimes unsung in Canada. That And I know you've run into a lot of people in your time. So let me talk about those people and how they've influenced your career.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned um, Digby Sale and Duncan McDougall, who, who were my physiology profs when I was an undergrad and phenomenal individuals. Mm-hmm. And I've had chance to meet, you know, speaking at uh, different conferences, to run into them from one time or another, uh, which has been awesome. So that was a foundational opportunity for sure. And being immersed in their class as an undergrad – I absolutely did not have the full appreciation of how brilliant they were and how impactful they were um, to the field in terms of research. So that's that's a great place to start. Um, beyond that, I would say people like uh, Andy Higgins, um, who you know sadly passed away a few years ago, but phenomenal track coach, went to multiple Olympic games, and you know both my business partner and I have you know he was one of our mentors, and we would have him come in to talk to our staff, you know, our company staff as part of our, you know, professional development over the years, you know, for sure. Um, Adrian Trudesso, who was a boxing coach as well, who passed away a few years ago. I'm I'm still working with one of his, his athletes, but, you know, another phenomenal coach went to multiple Olympic games, but a totally unsung hero, I think, not only within boxing, but within Canada, you know, he coached Sean O'Sullivan, you know, in, in the 80s when, when you know, boxing was probably at his heyday. But I really loved sitting, going to his, his facility and just sitting and chatting and being able to learn from people like that. You know, you mentioned Ed McNeely. Ed and I, you know, share, you know, we, we for years sat across the, uh, um, the office together having desks beside each other. So another phenomenal individual. And another person that you've actually interviewed on your podcast, Darren Steves out east amazing individual and, and one of the people that we definitely wanted involved when we were starting the, the CSCA. So uh, I think there you, you're, you're right. There are so many unsung heroes and people that um, don't necessarily get the notoriety. And again, Peter Renzetti would be another person that I mentioned who's been in the industry for years and years and years. And then yourself too. I mean, I have to include you, You know, and it's not trying to ingratiate <laughs> myself to you, but the reality is you you being a stable sort of part of this industry, and any time that somebody needs something, and all they need to do is pick up the phone or email you and ask, and you're always there, which is absolutely phenomenal and greatly appreciated.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that, uh, your kindness. Yeah, I mean, it's... I. I, I I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think what you guys are trying to do is very honorable. It's not always an easy task and uh, to bring people together. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of, and Canada is such a big country, so there's a lot of stuff going on all the time. Um, What is, what is fundamentally sort of, if, if you look forward, um, what is kind of the goal you're hoping it, it, it creates or the, what do you hope it generates for people um, in the industry?
1: Yeah, two things. One, definitely educational platforms. So having the opportunity to provide an educational opportunity that, that caters to Canadian content, Canadian uh, business needs, because, you know, even going through the, these last seven or eight months through COVID uh, brings to, to, to the forefront the need to have, a business understanding. So being able to give those opportunities, uh, but then also being able to provide an, an advocacy or, or organization or association to be able to speak for Canadian strength and conditioning coaches, and also having the opportunity to not only educate the SNC coaches, but also educate the individuals who are hiring the coaches and what exactly does it mean or entail when you are hiring an SNC coach what can what is within the realm of possibilities what is within their scope of practice how can they better enhance your university program or high school program so i think having the opportunity to also educate the uh, uh, the employers is is a is a meaningful opportunity as well
0: mm. what is A good coach in your viewpoint, what makes up a good coach after 30 years of practice in your, in your opinion at this point?
1: Andy Higgins was a good example. You know, Charles Poliquin, a great example, Charlie Francis, a great example, Charlie Francis. I I had a chance to to learn a lot from Charlie Francis over the years. And I think it's the realization um, that you don't have all the answers. Nobody does. And Andy Higgins once told us a great story, one of the pro d opportunities we had with ourselves. He said he went to a one man play or one man show and the show was so phenomenal that he sat in the audience in the seats well after everybody had left. Because he was so taken back by how good this guy was at his craft, at his performance. So, again, Andy's, and, and this is part of where I get that my, my desire is to be a better coach. That's my life objective as it relates to my vocation. But Andy's uh, sort of we let, you know, it left him thinking and saying to himself, my goal is to try and be as good at what I do as that gentleman just was at his one-man show. So I think trying to become as good as you can at, at whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's, it's, it's sweeping the, the sheds, you know, took a James Kerr's book or, or, you know, putting dumbbells away or keeping a, a gym orderly or, um, you know, reaching out and delivering groceries or food, you know, whatever it is to try and be as good as you can at whatever you do is, 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 is a great objective to have in life. Mm-hmm.
0: What are a few factors that, um, and I ask this question not for you to be boastful, but for you to sort of reflect a little bit for the listener on what you feel makes you a, a good coach, and then maybe what, what are some challenges you still um, thread to improve in yourself?
1: Tough question, Scott. <laughs> I, uh, to d- describe myself, I am, I, I am, I'm patient. I'm loyal and I'm stubborn. So <laughs> <laughs> so they not necessarily always work well together. Um, but I think being patient is is a good asset. Being stubborn, stubborn, not 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 so much. So I it there's there's a definitely, you know, a, a give and take there. Um and, and I would say the one thing as well, just about loyalty is I will be loyal to you till the end of time. You know, if, if you have two strikes, three strikes, four strikes against me, I'm, I'm still going to be loyal to you. And, and again, that can be, you know, in, in working with one of my mentors, another mentor, he, he's identified that as somewhat of a blind spot. It is my loyalty to people. So, um, yeah, in terms of answering your question, I think working through those three is definitely a growth opportunity on a day-in, day-out basis. I think definitely what helps to make me uh, a coach that people sometimes want to work with is, is my ability, I think, to listen
0: mm-hmm. and
1: to really try and help. I, I'm, I, I absolutely, uh, you know, uh, unequivocally love every single person I have the privilege of coaching, but that's not to say I work with everybody that comes to me. I think that it's just like a marriage. It's a relationship and it's a two way that I give um, my athletes, my clients give, and it becomes a definite, you know, lasting relationship. And I have fired clients in the past because it's just not working. And and I've been dropped by clients, which is fine. I'm not going to be able to work with everybody because I have a different type of character or personality or disposition that's just not going to be gravitating or enjoyable to some people. But the reality is where I am today, I, I, I love every single person I have the privilege of working with. And I think it's because I'm, I, I listen.
0: Hmm. Has there been any particular athlete or athlete project that's really taught you something special, either about yourself or about humanity in general?
1: Hmm. so the first person that actually came to mind was a, a a lady who was a recreational skier she was not a high performance athlete but in her 20s she um had a brain tumor uh went blind and having to work with her and i've worked with a couple of blind athletes over the years but she was the first was an incredible learning experience of of how to, how to be malleable? How to be able to be agile? How to be able to pivot in terms of a delivery of a program? You know, we would, we would. She the lighting bothered her, so she had a hypothalamic dysfunction. She had a tumor on her hypothalamus that had to be removed. She lost her vision, but she could still see brightness so we would have to make sure the blinds were closed the lights were off for her session because it would give her a headache we had to count the paces to the dumbbells we had to make sure the dumbbells were in the right order all the time we had to count the paces from the dumbbells to the treadmill you know if you look at treadmills they're all touch screens so we have to put little stickies on the treadmill so she would know which is speeding up which is shutting down so that was uh, an invaluable phenomenal learning experience
0: well, seeing somebody overcome and to be able to adjust and, and manage around the circumstance, that's really cool. And what's been, you've gone to lots of big events in your career and um, different kinds of games. What's been the most inspiring uh, event or moment in your career watching or observing or being tied to as a coach?
1: every couple of years my business partner we we have a trip an ironman race that will go around the world so the again i'm just going along the first things that pop into my mind the first thing that popped into my mind was we took about 100 people to uh, austria for an ironman in austria and 70 ish of them were competitors we so for an Ironman for for, for people who, who aren't you're familiar with triathlon it's a four kilometer swim, 184 kilometer bike, and a 42 kilometer run it is a is an Ironman triathlon. There are different distances, but that's an Ironman. So we had a number of people finishing in in around eight and a half hours. Some people you know finishing nine to ten hours. Most people will finish in around ten to twelve ish hours. We had one lady, she was an administrator at McMaster whose kids got her into it, who came with us on the trip, and she was the last finisher of the day, and it was roughly 14 hours and 58 minutes at the end. But the wonderful thing about an Ironman triathlon is even the pros who finished, you know, eight and a half hours were there at the finish line. And, and what I actually did, because I, I was actually concerned that she was not going to finish the race. So at, at one hour left before the cutoff time for her to finish, because they were going to shut the race down at that 15 hour mark, I walked 30 minutes out and I, I met her at around 28 minutes. So I knew coming back, she had time, two minutes to spare because she was walking by that point, a little bit of a jog, to be able to cross the line. And to be able to share her experience crossing the finish line was just as phenomenal as, as working with any Olympic medalists, like the, the sense of, of gratification of accomplishment of the year of training that went into it, that our entire team of, you know, 70 Canadians were also there or, you know, plus family, the extra 30 were there at the finish line, plus the pros to cheer her on and they had fireworks and a special celebration. So her, her lasting sort of, quotation about that day is if you're not going to finish first at an Ironman finish last.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's a great story. That's a good one to sort of wrap this up with. I think I'd like to uh, finish by sort of reflecting back on, um, you know, the, where, where you started with your dad and, you know, what have you emulated in your father as as a father and as a coach in your life?
1: Uh, as a father first, if and this happened just yesterday, if if my son or daughter need me, computer goes off, I turn the phone off right away. Um, and that's probably one of the greatest lessons my dad emulated to be able to show. And he never talked about it; he just did it. So uh, that's what that's what my objective is as well. That I'm I'm there immediately. And then I, as far as working with with athletes, it's it's more um, listening and and trying to take in as much information as possible rather than always interjecting.
0: Awesome well you've been a uh, fine soul in the industry for many years uh, I'm, i've enjoyed the opportunity to get to know you, what makes you tick a little bit more um and spend some time with you and uh, thanks for taking the time today
1: greatly appreciate it scott thank you so much
0: you're welcome thank you thanks for joining us today on leave your mark i hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast Please follow us at Twitter at BuiltByScott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day! Music by Cedric de Saint Rome.